Just by nature of who I am, I am not a person who given to nostalgia. Uh, by nature, I am more of a future focus than past focus. I would rather plan and make plans for the future than regret the past. It's just who I am, and that's my nature. Whenever I glance back, it is for two reasons. Uh, number one is so that I learn from my mistakes, of which there are many. And the second reason, when I glance at the back, to the past, it is to express gratitude and thanksgiving to the grace of God, the grace of God which is manifested greatly in the forgiving of my sins, His grace and protection from my own foolishness, His grace in overruling of my lack of faith, His grace in moving us forward when there were so many temptations to just get stuck. And we in this church have a vision and have a mission, and we thank God for the obedience that He has placed in our hearts for His vision that He has given us. Oh, we've changed our methodologies many times. We, we've changed programs all the times. And those of you who've been here for a long time know that we even changed venues a few times. But never the vision and the mission that He had given us. We have been looking together at the importance, at the imperative, at the necessity of having a personal vision and a personal mission for life, for ministry, and for work, the work of God. And today, what I want to do, I just give you the broad strokes of the future vision that God has for us as a congregation and as a body. It is not surprising, therefore, to some of you to know that one of my favorite passages is in Exodus chapter 14. Turn to it with me, please, because it is very relevant for us at this very moment. Exodus 14. Let me tell you what is happening at that moment in the life of the Israelites. They had just escaped from the slavery and the servitude of Pharaoh, and there were caught between their past and their present. But God was saying to them, Look to the future. Here they are. We're caught between the thought of going back to Egypt and standing still. But God said, no, no, no. Go forward. After supernatural intervention of God that they have seen over and over and taking them out of the slavery and the servitude of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they come to the point where in front of them there is the Red Sea, and behind them there's the mighty Egyptian army, and to the side there's the desert and there's the mountain. And some of them suggested that in the midst of this challenge, that in the midst of this difficulty, that in the midst of this fear, they ought to go back to the slavery. They ought to go back to Egypt. Moses said, no, 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 you need to stand still. But God said, no, go forward. In the past few years, some of our members have looked back nostalgically and, and said, you know, we, we miss the good old days when we're such a small congregation. Everybody knew everybody. I heard some people who have said, now we are at this point in, in the life of this church. We need to just coast along. After all, we got all the buildings we need. Then we got all the staff we need. We got all the ministries we need. Let's just stay still. Let's coast along. But God is saying to this congregation at this moment, go forward. 
in impacting your city for Christ. Go forward in impacting your workplaces. Go forward in impacting your schools for Christ. Go forward in impacting your neighborhoods. Go forward in impacting your communities for Jesus Christ. Go forward. That is the word that God has for us as a body. Go forward using every conceivable known technology to man and take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the darkest corner of the earth, telling them that Jesus and Jesus alone saves eternally. Think about this. The Israelites experienced the protection of God in the midst of all the ten plagues that kept coming one after another. They saw with their own eyes the Passover and the deliverance of their firstborn. And yet the moment they faced the first challenge, they took counsel of their fear and they wanted to go back. They said, let's go back. They were fearful. So they cried out to the Lord. But they cried to the Lord for the wrong reason. You see, they cried to the Lord, and that's good. But they cried in panic. They cried in fear. They cried in doubt that God is going to sustain them for the future. And that is the wrong reason. Some of you, you would rather be in your comfort zone. I understand that. You would rather not see your faith stretched. You would rather go back, go back to the familiarity of self-focus, the familiarity of focusing on your problems, the familiarity of self-serving. Some of you have taken counsel of your fears and your timidity, and you said to yourself, I go to church on Sunday, that's enough. I serve here and there, and that's enough. I serve in a couple of places, that's enough. And when the Israelites felt challenged, they cried to Moses, And they said to him, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Now, there's a sarcastic note here, because Egypt was full of graves. (laughs) There were pyramids everywhere. And not only that, but in verse 12, if you look at it, verse 12 of chapter 14 of the book of Exodus, they had a distorted picture of reality. You see, that's what happens. Here's what they said. Did we not say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? We would rather serve the Egyptians. When did they say that? You see, when your comfort zone is challenged, when your comfort zone is threatened, people develop a distorted picture of reality. The reality was they were glad to get out of Egypt. They were glad to get out of the mud that was up to their knees, day in and day out. They were glad to get out of the whips on their backs. They were glad. But the moment they faced the first difficulties, they said, didn't we tell you to leave us alone here in Egypt? Beloved, let me tell you something. When you signed up to follow Jesus Christ... When you receive Jesus Christ as the Savior of your soul and the Lord of your life, you have signed up to move forward with Christ. That's what you have done. I can tell you most assuredly that if you do not move forward in ministry, if you do not move forward in serving, if you do not move forward in witnessing, you will go backward. You cannot stand still. As many of you know, I had the joy of living in Australia for about nine years. My wife, Elizabeth, is 
born in Sydney in, in, in Australia. And, and if you ever visited Australia, you see what a wonderful job the pioneers, visionaries of, of the founders of that great country, they did a great job with that wonderful country. And I'm telling you, when they wanted to communicate a vision for their country, not only to their generation, but to the generations to come, the vision was simply this. There is no going back to England. This is it. This is our home. And we're going to do the best job we can. And that is why they chose their emblem, if you've seen it, of an emu and a kangaroo. Do you know why? Because the emu can never walk backward. If the emu walks backwards, it's going to fall. And the kangaroo's tail forbids him from falling backwards and going backward. And that was their vision. In fact, when Caesar invaded the British Isle, and all these boats came across the water, and he waited until his army was halfway climbing the cliffs of Dover. And at that moment, he let a light to all the ships that brought them from Rome, as if to say, there is no going back. There is no going back. Our goal has never been in numbers. Our goal, my goal in my, in, for this church and, and the founding members of this church has never been numbers. Numbers has not been our goal. Souls has been our goal. Our vision has never been calculating how many, but it is how many lost people are saved for Christ. That's always been our vision. Does it been our original vision? It will continue to be our vision. If our vision was to recruit believers from Bible-believing churches, we would have been 20,000 people by now. But that's not our vision. That's not our design. That's not our mission in life. And that is why I want you to listen very carefully. I'm pouring my heart out to you now. We will never be the largest church in the city. Mark this down. We will never be the largest church in the city. But we will have the greatest impact of any church in the city. And why do I say that? Amen. Give God glory. Amen. Amen. Why do I say that? Because I believe this is God's vision for this church in the future. Had the Israelites gone back to Egypt... They would have canceled all that God has done from chapter 12 of the book of Genesis on. Uh, might as well you would have sent Abraham back to the earth of Chaldeans. You might as well have erased his faith. You might as well have forgotten about the history of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. You might as well have reversed all that God has done. Not only that, but... Had they gone back to Egypt, they would have invalidated their future. For in the loins of some of those people were the seeds of Samuel and David and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Elijah and Elisha and Amos. To say nothing of the fact that in the loins of some of them were the human seed of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine if I had listened to the counsel of fear and timidity of those who have said to us three years after we started and have said to us, you know, we're having problem with the liberal denomination, problem finding land. Why don't we just disperse, close down the church and let the people just go to different churches and impact those churches. Imagine if I have taken counsel of that. But I remember back then saying, you know, when the devil is mad, I'm glad. And we're not going to go back simply because we faced our first challenge. No one, Jesus said, no one who follows me 
and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, my beloved friends, many of you have traveled to Europe. You've been to England. You have seen with your own eyes the empty churches. Church after church, if it's not a museum, it's empty. How many churches are turning into mosques, and they're turning into mosques so fast they can't even count them. They can't calculate. Do you know why? Because some of God's people back yonder in Europe and in England have said, let's go back. And that's what happens when the people of God say, let's go back. But then secondly, there is the counsel of Moses. Moses, in verse 13, doing the best that he could, he said to them, Don't be afraid. Stand still. In other words, don't worry. Stand in your place. God will fight for you. He has taken care of you. He will fight again. Moses was doing the best of his ability. He counseled them to stand still. And the truth is, standing still is better than going back. Uh, But that's not good enough. He believed that God is able, but he did not know that God will. (laughs) He believed that they are going to see divine intervention, but he did not see the necessity of human initiative. And so, he said, stand still. But had they stood still, they would have died of paralysis. Uh, They would have experienced the same results as going back. Hear me right on this one. It is suicidal for a church to think that they can stand still. It is a fiction. It's a mirage. And if we as a congregation ever come to the point of thinking that we've given enough, that we've served enough, that we have reached enough, that we have done enough, that we have ministered enough, that we have prayed enough, then ill will be say of us. What was said of Samson, that he did not know that his strength had departed. When this attitude of complacency ever creeps on a pastor or a staff or lay leadership, then it would be said of any of the church that they did not know that their strength had departed. Such church will become a semi-church. A semi-church. Do you know what that prefix semi means? Half of or part of something. And when a church decides to stand still, they become semi-passionate. They become semi-intense. They become semi-committed. They will have semi-worship. And that way they will see people outside as semi-lost. And they're going to a semi-hell. And at that point, they begin to semi-tithe and semi-attend. And that's how a church becomes a semi-church. God forbid that will ever happen in this place. Listen to me. I am always up front with you. I always stand as vulnerable as the Lord will make me be. I've always been up front with you. And I can tell you the truth. I have always feared complacency more than anything in this church. I fear complacency more than indebtedness or anything else. I fear complacency because I want to go forward. I want to go forward with God's vision. I want to go forward with God's plan. I want to go forward with God's mission for us. And I believe there is a divine timing for going forward. Look at verse 15. 
of Exodus 14. Here's what God said to Moses. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward and move on. Imagine you are praying about a matter, whether you're going to do this or you're going to serve or you're going to do that. And and then God, you hear the voice of God says to you, stop praying. Stop praying about this and go and do something. Why? Because there is a time to pray for a matter and then there is a time to act. I know from my own life. I know from my own experience. For two years, I used praying and I kept on praying and kept on praying for two years about the matter of starting the church until God sent the man who stood in my face and said, get on with it. I was using prayer as an excuse. Surely, you know that we are a praying church. Our staff meeting is a prayer meeting. Our vestry meeting is a prayer meeting. Every area of ministry, we are a praying church. But our prayers are not an excuse for doing nothing. Sometimes God says, stop praying about the matter and reach into your wallet and reach into your pocketbook and reach into your accounts and give generously to my work. Uh, Sometimes God says, stop praying about which area of ministry and just get involved. Stop praying about the matters. Matters that have been settled in heaven long time ago. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how people use prayer. Listen, you do not have to pray to God whether you should witness for him or not. You don't pray about that. You should not pray whether you should give the full tithe to the storehouse or not. You should not pray to God whether you should minister or serve or not. You should not pray whether you should have a vision and ministry and a mission for your life or not. Because all of these things have been settled in heaven long time ago and you don't need to pray about them. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, was speaking to his congregation one time and he said the following. It is time for the church to be done with daydreaming and get to work. And then he continued... I believe in eggs, but we must get chickens out of them. I don't mind how big your egg is. It can be as big as an ostrich egg. But if nothing is in it, pray, clear away the shells. And then he continued, do something, do something, do something. And then he concluded, while committees waste their time on resolutions, you do something. And while societies are making constitutions, let us win souls for Christ. Too often, he said, we discuss and we discuss and we discuss while Satan is laughing in his sleeve. It is time to finish planning and do something. And there may be a person here today who have never received the salvation and the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. You've never come to realization that you're a sinner and heading straight for eternal judgment without Jesus Christ. I would hate for you to hear this word, to hear this message, to be in this worship and walk out exactly the same way you came in. God brought you here for a reason. And he wants you to come to him. The purpose of this church is to get people to come to know Jesus Christ, to discover that he and he alone can liberate you from sin. He can deliver from addiction. He and he alone can take you to heaven. Today, that can be your day. Don't miss the opportunity of responding. But then for the rest of the body, 
the members of this church. The cry of my heart is that same as expressed in the words of Charles Spurgeon, that every member of this church would do something, do something, do something. What will you do? What will you do? Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.